Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Making Sense Podcast. We've got myself, Kanisha here. got Jay. Sorry, bro. <laughs> I didn't know we had an order. I didn't know we had an order. Exactly, so I have to be interested. Yeah, so who else is there? We have Sam. We have yours truly. And we have some special guests in the building. Very Thank special guests. Guest. Thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have today, we have the lovely Paul Boateng and Kirsty Kwarteng. They are... Oh, sorry. sorry? No, 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 I'll let you go. I was just saying thank you for coming, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so we have these two ladies from the future of Ghana. Mm. And um, we're here to talk about a very special topic. Um, we're here to talk about remittances. We're here to talk about why your aunties and uncles used to send you to Western Union when you were younger <laughs> to send money back. <laughs> <laughs> what it actually means in the grand, in the grand scheme mm. of things, mm. etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so future of Ghana future of Ghana is, is effectively um, it's many things one of it's a charity group um, it's a are we a think tank Ooh. we're working towards that Ooh. we're working okay. towards that and also I'm actually part of it as well yes yes so <laughs> oh really <laughs> oh really yeah Man so we're actually talents. wait this is the research side of future of Ghana mm-hmm. so what they're doing is or what we're doing is we're, we're looking at evidence-based research <laughs> into how remittances are, are made to Ghana, financial, social, etc. We're looking at the value they're adding. We're looking at um, who's actually sending money. We're looking at everything in regards to that. So we're doing actual research. And Pearl is the head of research. Kirsty is a researcher. I'm also a researcher. And we <laughs> both hope one day to be <laughs> also be head that. of research. He's <laughs> loving it. He's digging it. <laughs> Okay, before we get into it, people, please don't forget to subscribe, leave comments, ask questions, etc. You know the deal. And I'm going to hand it over to Jerome for the usual. Cool. So as we always say every week, and I hope you guys listen every week, we are not financial, we're not registered financial advisors, and nothing we're you know speaking about today is supposed to come across as financial advice. We're here to give you information and knowledge for you to make your own informed decisions. Um, if you want to go out in the market on your own. Be prepared, do the, do the work, get yourself educated to do so. If not, go and see a registered uh, p- uh, personal advisor, but at least go with the knowledge so to make sure that you won't be kind of defrauded or whatever. But this is not on us. It's all on you. Take responsibility. Yes, guys. Don't, don't blame us for any drama. <laughs> we don't want it. <laughs> so, we haven't heard a lady speak yet. Yes. Tell us who you are. Can you are. guys speak, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 a question, Francis. Okay. Um, okay. Before we let you guys speak of officially... Um, I'm, I'm going to actually introduce you guys and say who you, who you guys who you guys actually <laughs> are, what you've done prior to Future of Ghana. Um, so Pearl uh, Pearl is an international development researcher and advisor. She specialises in education and development. Um, she has a BSc honours in banking and international okay. finance. From okay. Cass Business School. Okay. From gas. Okay. From Woodstock. Okay. <laughs> I'm shy. I'm shy. I'm shy. She also has a master's in international education and development from the University of Sussex. Mm. And also, I'm not done yet, holds a PGCE in maths from UCL. Do do you guys even need me here? I can can, can go. (laughs) I can wait wait in the car. For sure. Um, Kirsty is an international development specialist and researcher focusing on migration and development in the African diaspora population. She specifically focuses on second generation immigrant identity and transnationalism. (sighs) She's currently pursuing her PhD at SOAS in, yeah, I'm not done yet, by the way. 
Um, oh. Kirsty holds also holds a master's degree in intercultural service leadership and management from SIT Graduate Institute. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Kirsty, you're American. Yes. Okay. What's up? Texas. Oh. Dirty South. Yeah. <laughs> okay. the home of Beyonce. Yeah, I was gonna mm-hmm. say. Beyonce. Uh, she also has a bachelor's degree from the Vanderbilt University. Is that how you say it? Yeah. In human and organizational development, with a concentration in leadership in international leadership and development. <sighs> she was also <laughs> named as one of Ghana's top thirty under thirty in twenty sixteen. Wow. By the Future of Ghana, and is mem- is a member of the Diaspora African Women's Network. Come on, man. Right. When I hit, I just hit, stay in school, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hit. Stay in school. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks coming. Thanks for coming. So, do you not want to introduce yourself? So, basically, we're here in our, in our capacity as Future of Ghana researchers, as you know. And like Francis said, I'm head of research and I was leading the research project. And then Kirsty um, came on board, as well as Francis came on later on. But I'm sure we'll get to that as well. Wicked. Mm. Yeah, what's up, Kirsty? You want to say a few words? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having us here. Um, it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Cool. As am I. I am. I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. So, should we kick right off? Mm-hmm. Good, because I've got some questions. So, first question is, why did you do the research paper? Okay, so <laughs> so how it started, so basically it was Arnold's idea. So Arnold is the chair of Future of Ghana. And what was happening is that I was working on another diaspora research project for the African Union with a friend of mine. Mm. So I had to interview Arnold to kind of get his insights and his perspective on things. And then he mentioned that he actually wanted to do a research project himself, okay. looking at second generation British Ghanaians. And then he asked me to get involved. So that's, what's hap- that's, mm. that's how we got there, basically. But in terms of the why we got there, it was a case of... We're trying to move the conversation beyond patriotism and okay. this whole, okay, just I love back home, I want to do stuff back home. But how can we make sure we're doing things in a joined up way to make sure we're making the most impact as possible? Yeah. So that's the why behind it. Okay. I think especially because the Ghanaian dia- um, government talk a lot about the diaspora, the diaspora, we want to harness the diaspora, but we don't know who they are, yeah, what their skill yeah. sets are, how Agreed. they contribute, what Ghana needs and how that yeah. relates to that as well. Yeah. So we just wanted to bring some evidence to it, basically. Is there any reason why it was second generation and not first? Good question. <laughs> uh, so I think in the timeline that we set out for ourselves, I think mm. first generation was going to be a bit more complicated. Okay. Because I think for second generation, we can do things like online surveys and yeah. send things over WhatsApp and so on. I, I, I know our mums and dads are using WhatsApp and things like that. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think they would be a bit more apprehensive about sharing things like how much money they send back yes. home. So we'd have to do a lot more face-to-face yeah. interaction and just in the timeline and the capacity of the team because yeah. everyone's super busy. So yeah. it's something we, we're looking to do, but we, we th- thought we focused on this yeah. first. We've and, always and, said and that. And also previous, I think a lot of previous research has focused on first, on generation. first generation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it made yeah. sense to do something a little bit different. And we've always yeah. said how hard it is to get financial information out of the older generation. Yeah, exactly. They are not keeping it. They're I'm not going to share that. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it hamstrings us a little bit. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, because you just don't get to see what the level playing field is, mm. you know. Okay, so the research paper was done. Um, and what were the findings? 
<laughs> there, yeah. there were there were six key findings um and i think for, everyone's gonna add a bit basically because we all led on different parts of the project so yeah. i led the whole thing yeah and then francis came in on the statistical analysis um kirsty led on the key informant interview so i'll let them kind of chip in as well mm. but i think the first key finding was that social remittances were the dominant way in which second generation british Guardians engage mm. so basically that just means things like they were doing travel blogs or okay starting up their own organizations and advocacy um initiatives or volunteering or mentoring or things like that yeah. basically so that was the dominant way in which people were engaging okay. but i think what we weren't expecting was that about a third of the people that took part in the survey so we had about 493 people who took part oh, wow so about a third of them were actually sending money back home regularly as well yeah so the most frequent the, the frequency of them sending money back home was, I think, every month. Okay. And they're sending between 100 to 300 pounds. Yeah. But some people send as much as a thousand pounds, which I wasn't expecting yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was that was the major thing that came out of that. Mm. Then I think identity was big. So just mm. how people relate to themselves as British people or Ghanaians or British Ghanaians yeah. and what that means and am I British enough or Ghanaian enough and all the kind of the complexities behind that. So that, that, was, that featured throughout the research project, yeah. um, I would say. And that affected how people engaged either through sending money or engaging socially. So, for example, if you spoke a, a Ghanaian language, yeah. you were far more likely to engage in social remittances, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, you speak yeah. the language, you can exactly. relate more. Yeah, you can relate. yeah, exactly. And then there were other things like if you identified as British as opposed to British Ghanaian or Ghanaian, mm. you were less likely to engage in any way, shape or form. So basically, mm. if you saw yourself as more British, you, you weren't really going to yeah, engage yeah. in Ghana. So that was another thing. Mm. But in terms of who's most likely to remit, I'll hand over to my statistical boss. Fill in there. Yeah, yeah. So we looked at you know, the data set and we just simplified um, in terms of the findings. We created a profile of the person, statistically speaking, who's who was most likely to remit socially or, or financially. And um, just to give you a brief overview. So in both instances, it was female. She identified as British Ghanaian. She was between the age of 25 to 34, earned between 31 to 40K, spoke at least one local Ghanaian language, works in the corporate world, um, something like business consulting or something, and did not belong to diaspora group, uh, maybe because she didn't know about them, who knows? Mm. Um, and does she remit, does she remit socially? She does, but only half of the time. So that was that's the, the person who's most likely to remit financially. In terms of socially, again, female, also British Ghanaian, between the ages of 18 and 24. So we can see there's a big difference in age. Mm. The social ones are a lot younger, which again makes sense because yeah. the older ones probably have more money. The younger ones probably don't. They're probably like students. They have more free time to be Exactly. Social. So yeah. they're, they're remitting their time rather than their finances. Um, also speaks speaks um, at least one Ghanaian language. Is very likely to be a student. Um, does belong to a diaspora group. Yeah, and um, engage. You know? Sorry, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I feel like the younger generation a little bit more. Yeah, engaged. yeah. do you know a lot of yeah. times they're a lot more active than we yeah. were. Yeah. but I feel so. like they have a lot more options as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. E even through social media alone. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. and um, also, um, yeah, that's that's that. Yeah. <laughs> so how come, uh, as you said, both of them were female? Where did the men rank <laughs> in that? Oh, yeah, Francis, tell you us. Coming for us again? No, I just want to know. Just wanna well, know. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily that the men didn't, didn't remit, 
anything remember this is just the most likely person so let's just say my my results tell me that 52 women or the average number of, of women uh, remitting was 52 and the average number of men was 51 i still would have chosen women right because women's higher so yes i mean the truth is women do remit more but then also in the um in the group of the participants Part, survey participants there were more females so that could play a part but um yeah this is just statistically speaking oh, actually kirsty maybe you want to add maybe you might want to add something to that from your side of the analysis yeah so for the key informants um so identity was a, a key theme throughout the entire um the entire research project and so with the key informants um they talked about how um, sometimes the first generation is not always really sensitive to the issues of identity mm. that uh, come up in in the second generation. And so while, you know, when you try to, you know, speak, you know, tree or gun, whatever mm. language you speak, and it comes out broken and they laugh, like, they're not, you yeah. know, like, yeah. they don't yeah, mean, we like, they're not yep. trying to, um, you know, they're not trying to make fun of you, yeah. but that's how it comes across. And of so, course. like, things like that can add up. And um, if you're not... Like like Pearl said, like people who are are they feel like they're more British than anything anything yeah. else are less likely to engage. So yeah. being so your identity and that's what they said that your their identity does play a big part in whether or not people want to engage. Because why would you engage with people or with a nation that doesn't feel like you totally belong to them? Yeah. And, and yeah. That's a very good point. A friend of mine often we had a conversation about this at length, that it feels like as a second generation we have no home. Because mm -hmm. we're reminded, especially now that we're guests in these countries mm -hmm. and probably the same in America mm -hmm. and we're kind of treated as guests when we go back home if mm -hmm. you can't speak the native yeah, language yeah. so I'm a Jamaican mm -hmm. unless you can speak Patois perfectly and dress a certain way they know you're English and so there's many parallels there yeah. mm -hmm. so how do you remit if you don't feel that your you know your country of origin is home and you know here's not home you kind of have no home mm. yeah no sorry no I was just gonna say I think you just have to be a bit more forthright about it because mm. I think some of the people in the study they were just kind of like, I'm Ghanaian, irrespective of what you think or how you feel. Mm. So they were just like, I have this accent, don't care, that's your business, yeah. that's your Got problem. You. So I think we almost have to take it back yeah. and claim what we, what, what we feel is our identity kind yeah. of thing. Because like you said, I think if we if we allow ourselves to be subject to someone saying, like, oh, look at you, this, this yeah. is your fiction yeah. yeah. or whatever, then yeah. we'll never feel comfortable anywhere, to be quite frank. Of course. So I, think, so I think some of the participants were really just like, that's 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 good for you. Mm. I'm a Ghanaian. There's nothing you can tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we, we almost have to be a bit more like that. It's it's not it's not as black and white as that. Yeah. Obviously, it's a bit more complicated. But that. that resonates with me because as a Jamaican, I'm mm. even that one step further removed. In, even in, in term sure. um, identifying myself as African, mm. sure. Because sure. I can't tell you where in Africa I'm from. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's even harder for me to would be better. Where is home in Africa for me? Mm. I essentially have to pick one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a lot you of know. people do. I think a lot of African-Americans do that. Mm. Even in Ghana, like they've moved, but there's the right to a abode right. law or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of them have actually moved back and just adopted Ghana as home. Yeah. Oh. And they, they live there. They, they live there. They have their own societies and associations. Not, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I was like, okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, so, family did that. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. uh, from what I understand, not been yet. Uh, shame on me but it's quite similar to Jamaica so I know Jamaicans that go to Ghana immediately feel at home because of that you know mm. so yeah. doesn't Francis, surprise Francis when yes when we went to Jamaica Francis was a bit apprehensive because he was like mm, snob 
yeah, he was a bit apprehensive of regards to going to Jamaica, and then when he got there, he was like, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly like Ghana." He didn't, yeah, he couldn't believe how similar it was. Yeah, it was, it, it was the, the the similarities were striking. Yeah, especially like around the beaches and stuff that see kids walking around half naked their parents yeah. shouting after them <laughs> just <laughs> stuff like that yeah. but when you think about it it shouldn't be so much of a surprise to us because yeah. both countries were formed under the same kind of regime 100% though. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. Mm. I had a professor from Barbados and I had another professor from Ghana and apparently in Barbados they eat kenke which yeah. is something yeah, they do. Oh, really? yeah yeah, yeah. They do. <laughs> And fufu so as well, but it's called different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so found that on Wikipedia a while ago. Yeah, okay. yeah. So they would like, so these two professors would sometimes yeah. beef about who has the better kenke. Oh, what? Yeah. 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 I've never had that. Debate. Debate. To, wow. to a point you made, I, I think social remittance is probably so important mm. because it will show that. Yeah, it will show exactly. the similarities. Mm-hmm. Like when you see mm-hmm. pictures on social media, where it will show a picture of Ghana and a picture of Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And okay, one could say it's doctor to look the same, but it gives you the idea that we are similar. We might not be the same, but there are similarities. Definitely. Cool. Is it me then? Yes. Cool. So, oh, sorry, there's more key findings. There. See, yes. there was more there key findings. Go. Sorry, guys. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> so for, for the um, the participants, education, health, and entrepreneurship were the areas that they wanted to contribute to the most. So, in terms of social remittance, mm. that's where they wanted to basically make their mark. Okay. Mm. But I mean, a lot of them were aware of the fact that they're not health specialists or education specialists. So, they were more geared towards entrepreneurship because they felt that like, this is where I can really yeah. add value, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, then, so the last two ones is that um, the overwhelming majority want to move back to Ghana. Mm. So 84% out of the 493 want to move back. back. Wasn't expecting that either. I mean, you hear it anecdotally, like, oh, I don't want to stay in the UK forever and stuff like that. But I didn't think people were that serious about wanting to move back. I'm not surprised. The beef from the (laughs) East... (laughs) <laughs> the <Tories>. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to look back home it's true. do you it's feel true. like I do I, I was going to say do you feel like that's a genuine I'm planning to move back and these are my plans or is it on paper yeah would you like to live in cold rainy sometimes racist England for the rest of your life or yeah. do you want to go back home where you're going to be accepted <laughs> Do you know? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Is you raise a good point, yeah. Because mm. I feel like on paper, I would say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I want to go back. Mm. But do I really want to go back? Am I taking the steps to be able to go back? And for someone that wasn't there, yeah, how much do I relate to be able to? Go and live there, no, that's a really important question because I think the follow-up question to that was, and when do you plan to do so? Okay. So forty yeah. percent wanted to do do it within the next five to ten years. Wow. So and then in the focus group discussions, we followed up on that further because like you said, yeah. it sounds nice, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh, I want to go back home. Yeah. But like, do you, do you actually want, want to do to. Yeah. But I think what came out was that people had romanticised the idea of back home. Mm-hmm. So it was that idea of when I go home, everyone's just going to love me and accept me. Yeah. It's going to be there. It's going to yeah, be great. Yeah. But then other people were more realistic about it and they were a bit more practical and said, actually, in terms of earning potential, yeah. quality of life, because they were saying that if they want to move back, they don't want to come back here every every five seconds yeah, yeah. to get the things that they, they need, need yeah. to go back again. They yeah. just want to, they want to fully yeah. just yeah, move back. Yeah. So um, I think the focus groups reveal some nuance to that. Like yeah, you said, like, said, like yeah. do you really want to yeah. So I think the focus groups had all of that in there. I don't know if it featured in the key informants. Um, not especially. Okay. I think one thing that was interesting when we were talking about uh, diaspora groups and I guess who what it means <coughs> to be a diaspora. Um, mm. And for some of the key informants, they felt like you couldn't, like if you weren't um, 
and a part of you know future of ghana or star 100 or mm. some of these other diaspora groups that you really aren't part of the diaspora mm. per se but then there were others that were like you know there are people who aren't um in a diaspora group but they're doing things on their own yeah. like you know health missions and you know things of that nature that are really making an impact mm. so i think that's something else that's that we should um really consider that you don't necessarily have to like be in the diaspora yeah. to yeah. be of it oh yeah. That, that's a good, yeah that's a key point do you know one thing um just just for our listeners who might not you know our younger listeners who might not understand all these terms actually but what is diaspora that is <laughs> yeah, that's the point it's just short it's short and sweet that term later on in life yeah, yeah. I didn't know it as a kid I mean it's the term diaspora is in the I guess migration field is what they call the contested term because everyone has their own definition of it mm. um it was initially initially used with Jewish people and their expulsion from you know their homeland like back in I mean in the biblical bi- bi- yeah in the biblical times um and so the term diaspora just means a dispersal Mm. Um, and then it was, yeah, it's been used with the Armenians as well, and then of course with the the global African diaspora yeah. because of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, but those are, I guess, what in literature is called classical diasporas. But then you have what's called you know newer diasporas, the Ghanaian diaspora, you know the Caribbean diaspora, mm. which, um, in simple terms, you could say people who are living outside of their country of ancestry. That's good. And then and then again just to um tie it all up, what what is focus group and what is the key informant? Okay. So the focus groups are basically just a small group of people who answer interview questions. Mm. So it's normally about five to eight people and they just do it in a group setting basically to kind of just get a more rounded idea of what people think. Yeah. Um, the key informants are people that we identified as being experts or specialists to and that they could add something to the questions that the average person couldn't so for example like I couldn't talk about how the diaspora landscape has changed over the last 20 years but I could talk about my experience as a British Ghanaian so the person who's a bit more of a specialist in that area is the key informant Mm -hmm. cool yeah and and I think we did all these three different types of surveys just to get a better just to get a holistic view of Mm. things is that correct Pearl? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so why are you keep putting people the, on the I mean, the big part. <laughs> <laughs> he does was, it to me. That's why I'm wait, it's like to there's a, a, <laughs> Don't feel sorry for him when you hear. There was a, there was a big part the survey where we had just uh, over 490 responses. Then there was a smaller part which was the focus group, and there was an even smaller part which was the key informant mm. groups. Right. Yeah, and yeah. shout out to Noreen who yep. led Big the up. focus group discussions. Yeah. Yep. And guys, just from my personal point of view, what you guys, I said it to Francis, where they should be very proud of what you've done because it's so Thank important. You. Thank we you. Just, this information just isn't out there. Yeah, when we did the show, uh, me and Desnomics was talking and we were saying the real issue we have is there's no real data around us and our issues, mm. you know, socially, economically, any which way you cut it, there's just no data there. Mm. And data is the new oil as they'll talk, you know, if yeah. you're listening yeah. to Facebook. Yeah. But it's really important to know what's happening. So... I think if these things aren't spoken about, the people that don't feel like they relate to home would... Don't forget. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask really quickly, did you find that you had people that were frequent visitors to Ghana were the people that were more likely to invest back home? Yeah, so there was a correlation between yeah. the two. I want to say it was... Um, 
I can't remember the exact number, but there was a positive correlation. Mm. So those who had either been there or had traveled there more frequently yeah. were more likely to engage financially or socially. Yeah. Okay, so it's like they more they felt like it was home. They could relate yeah, to yeah. it. They, um, yeah, they knew the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I'm not sure if they felt necessarily felt it was home, mm. but they had a connection to yeah. it. Yeah, so yeah. it kind of shows travel back home is really important. Uh, yeah, and that's an issue. It's what to make it expensive during peak times anyway. Mm. But yeah, travel back home. You know, it starts mm. with just getting that connection so by going there regularly. I, I would say it was the um, identity was the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. and then um, so the the frequency or the the length of of travel and stay in Ghana was also quite significant okay yeah that makes sense Mm, yeah so uh from me uh were your findings in line with your expectations and kind of what recommendations would you guys give so kind of two questions in one i I would say they broadly were in line of expectation i mean the the study was an exploratory study so we didn't have a hypothesis or anything that we were testing Mm -hmm. um so i think some of like i said some of the things we know anecdotally so people wanting to go back home people doing you know initiatives and stuff i think even we also found that i think it was just 38 percent belong to a diaspora organization Mm. which i was because i'm not formally part of a diaspora organization well not until the research projects Mm. i wasn't anyway um so I think the most surprising thing to me was the amount of people that said they want to move back and how many people, how much money is being sent back home from us, basically. Mm. I didn't expect that. Maybe it's the good. odd donation, but yeah, it was and, good. Yeah. And to, just to add to that, what I found really surprising was that the lower earners were just as likely to uh, send money back like the high earners. So how much you earn didn't actually determine how much mm. you sent back yeah. or how often. That's interesting. Yeah, that was also quite interesting. I was surprised by how many people spoke a Ghanaian or said they spoke a Ghanaian language. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I, th- I, I did, for my master's thesis, I did something similar, but looking at Ghanaian Americans based in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went in knowing that the number of people that spoke a Ghanaian language was going to be very low, and it was. But for this, it seems a bit higher um, mm. than... Yeah than what I found in the States. But I think, I mean, just, I mean, I don't have any you know, research evidence to back this up, but I, I, just based on my personal experience, I think the British Ghanaian diaspora is a bit more in tune with what's going on in Ghana than that, yeah, that uh, Ghanaians me. in America, which makes yeah, sense because makes sense. Ghana, I mean, it's only the, the flight from here to Ghana <laughs> yeah. is so short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The patriotism here is in the strong. Or Texas yeah. or New York. Yeah. It's, it's just easier to connect okay. um, with Ghana. Mm. So I think that... Yeah, I, I also find Americans a lot more patriotic than English. Like, I don't know, it feels <laughs> that way. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, no, I, no, no, no. I t- I, oh, hear me out, hear me out. Point. You're more likely to hear a black person say, I'm an American. Over here, it's straight to your country yes. of origin. Yes, yes, yes. It's straight definitely. to your country. More, or more often than not, it, you're not really going to... A black person with a union jack wrapped around them? Mm. Rarity. Yeah, yeah. Cameron had uh, the American star thangle bangle all over him. Yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like they—it's the truth. Like we don't identify with being British as much. I find anyway, just anecdotally, yeah. that's how it feels to yeah. me anyway. Yeah. It's yep. not as cool to say that you're English or British as a black person no, as it is to here. say you're American. Yeah. Well, in America, you have to remember that the assumed black identity is African American, yeah. mm. and you know, African Americans have been in America for four hundred years, yeah. not really knowing exactly. Experience is yeah, very different, exactly right? Yeah. What their country of origin or ancestry mm. is so i think that's a big yeah uh probably the biggest reason why you'll hear a black person say i'm 
you know, I'm American. Of course, of mm. course. Mm. It's how they came to the country. Exactly. It's very, very different. Exactly. Sorry um, to cut in. Kirsty, are you second generation as well? Yes, I'm okay. second generation mm. Ghanaian. Uh, sorry, just one quick question. Mm-hmm. On the language part, mm-hmm. so for someone in the diaspora, someone like myself, who wants to go back, uh, which language should we be learning and how and where? Ooh. So I'm currently trying to learn Spanish, <laughs> but should I be trying to learn... That's a political question. It's purely objectively. So if I want to go there and engage and be entrepreneurial and all that kind of stuff, which is the best language? Not even culturally. What's going to allow me to communicate <laughs> the best? I, I don't think I'm qualified to answer this question. However, oh. what I would say is, since Sam is Ghanaian and she's Ga. And I think if you were to go to Africa, you'd be likely to go to Ghana. Mm. Maybe yeah. that would be a good starting point. Ga. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I would say. All three, right? All three. But it's only because Sam speaks Ga. Okay. No, what but I'm just thinking, do I get well. to like a major city where I need to meet people or whatever? And would it be more beneficial just then for the purpose of business then tree, to speak a certain language? Tree, tree. Okay. Because it's just spoken more now, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. 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 even Ga. in terms of wanting to speak Spanish, that was purely based on the fact that it's a widely spoken language. Mm. Okay. You know, yeah. So it's trying to speak a bit, think of it objectively rather than... Yeah. And maybe where I haven't got those cultural or tribal ties it's easier for me to think of it like that but mm-hmm. that's kind of why I'm. going back to the language thing you said you were shocked to find that there were that many Ghanaian speaking British people over here see I I'm not surprised at that I feel like I'm, I understand it a little bit mm-hmm. don't really speak it mm-hmm. but I feel like I rarely meet Ghanaians that can't speak the language so I'm, I, I literally yeah, feel yeah, like really? yeah I, I feel like I'm I literally like, okay. interesting. I'm a minority yeah, yeah <laughs> I do feel like a minority amongst Ghanaians I feel like I'm one of the wow. ones I stick out like a sore thumb because <laughs> I don't speak the language same yeah. it's funny you because really? most of my friends from various African countries not many of them I've encountered that speak their home not many mm. so it's interesting you say that. yeah I literally uh, feel I mean, like I find a lot of Ghanaians speak their language yeah. okay yeah. just, just yeah, to put it out yeah same yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. that's very different from the US experience yeah I feel like I'm getting to that person point where it's like shit my parents wronged me honestly and that came up as well yeah a lot of people felt hard done by yeah yeah because there was like that was our parents' language, just language. Yeah. But I mean, again, there's all kinds of reasons why they did it. If yeah. my parents were in this room, the discussion would go on forever. As in, like, you didn't want to learn. So <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't say I didn't want to learn at the age of two. Like speaking. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we've been talking about remittances. What exactly are remittances? So you talk about financial. You talk about social. What? What exactly are they? So. Again, remittances is another term that (laughs) can be defined uh, many different ways. But again, the simplest term is um, monetary transfers from immigrants in the country they live in to people back home. It can be uh, on an individual level, like, you know, parents sending money to, you know, their nieces, nephews, you know, to Mm -hmm. grandparents. It can be people sending money um, to support a business or you know to pay people's wages for a business it can be um making donations to um you know an organization in your country of origin that's working Mm -hmm. with orphans or you know something like that so it's not when people think of remittances the it is mainly to like individuals but it's not just that so it's it's wider um but then there's also the term remittance it can be we have financial remittances and we have social remittances, yeah. which we've also been talking a lot about, which, mm-hmm. and those are um, things that are not tangible. So it's more like I, like a skills transfer, ideas, knowledge that can be exchanged mm-hmm. um, from, and it's not from people in 
what we call the host country, so like the UK or Germany or wherever else, mm. um, to people in the homeland. But it's it goes um, both ways. So it's not just like this imperial type of like, oh, we're in the West or we're outside of the, the you know, our homeland, so we know better. No, you can try to send a social remittance, but it may or may not always, you know, be received well, depending on what it is. Mm. Um, it, it's it has a better chance of being received if it's already kind of similar to something that's, you know, a value that is already in place in mm. in the homeland. So something I would talk about with my parents is you know, holidays that are now being celebrated in Ghana that weren't celebrated when they were growing up, mm. like Mother's Day. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I was yeah. in Ghana a few years ago um, during Mother's Day, and it was a, it's a huge celebration, yeah. and Valentine's Day as well. And my parents were like, when we were growing up, this wasn't, these weren't things, the baby mm. showers and gender yeah. reveal parties. <laughs> those aren't things that, <laughs> yeah. those aren't things yeah. that were being yeah, done yeah, in Ghana, but thing. you have a lot of people... Um, due to social media, yep. exactly yeah, due to right, social yeah. media, due to um, people, you know, returning back home, um, due to you know more people being outside and just having having it be easier to communicate with people, mm. um, you know, in Ghana and people outside. Mm. There's these ex- exchange of ideas are co- constantly yeah. happening, whether we yeah. realize it or not. Yeah. And yeah. Changes yeah. are happening because yeah. of that. Yeah, the Can, yeah go ahead. no, no, go. No, I was saying the internet definitely facilitated that Absolutely. massively, right? Yeah. I was going to ask, with um, financial remittance, you know, I feel like I've got questions for days. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I feel what? like... No, <laughs> we're going to put the link for the report. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you have the report, actually. Yeah, no, I have, it, I have it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I just feel like... Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's just... Yeah, but she's asking the questions for the listeners, so, yes. you know. Exactly. exactly. Fair, point. Fair point. But I was going to say, did, did was there any question about the um, idea of corruption? <laughs> I mean, people, people told, told stories of, like their parents sending tens of thousands of pounds back home mm. to build a house that never got built. Never got built. All of a sudden, that uncle, all of a sudden, had a new house somewhere. Yeah. So all those kinds of things. And obviously, the wider kind of issues of corruption and yeah. the fees attached to sending remittances back yeah. home. Because that makes it really expensive, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So people are sending it, sending it through informal channels. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, if I know Francis is going back home, I'll, I'll give him 500 pounds. Yeah. You know, yeah, he sorts yeah, out yeah. my people back there. Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm dodging yeah. the cost, basically. Yeah, yeah. But then with that, there's always a level of risk because there's nothing written in. You, d- exactly. there's, yeah. So you have to really trust the person. Yeah, exactly. So in regards to remittances, why are they important to A, the country receiving it, and B, those individuals receiving it? So remittances now comprise a really significant amount of countries' uh, GDPs. Um, and without it, like for, I know for Ghana... The World Bank estimates say that last year there were over $2 billion that were sent home, even though the number in real life is probably much more than that. Um, but like, like we were just talking about, it's, you know, a lot of money is sent through, um, it's sent through informal uh, channels, so it's hard to, it's hard to really count how much is being sent. But what is, but the money that, that can be counted was about $2, two billion. Um, and that's, I think, around 14% or so of Ghana's GDP. For other nations, remittances can be as high as, like, 30%. It's also a really large um, part of uh, foreign, foreign direct investment in a lot of countries. And so for these nations that rely heavily on remittances, like, ha- having a huge chunk of your GDP taken out, like, what will that do for, you know, for your, your country's economy? Yeah. And I guess, and this also ties into how it's important for individuals because... While there's a lot of talk around remittances being used 
and are, har- are harnessing the power, quote unquote, of remittances um, for development. A lot of the money that's being sent home is being sent for, you know, to to individuals uh, for consumption purposes, or you know, for school, for food, for clothes, yeah. things like that. So mm-hmm. it, it's not as um, easy as it seems to just kind of like ask people to to stop sending money to people that they know need it um, to some type of you know development scheme like that's going to be really hard and then outside of the remittances being used to meet um, material needs there is also remittances also serve as a they have a social function Mm. because it's you know, I you know I send money to you know whoever back home because I love them and I want to make sure that they're being taken care of or you know everyone pitched in and bought my ticket to you know to the outside um, so it's my duty to provide for the people back mm-hmm. home and then the people who are receiving the remittances um, they you know they're able to do things that maybe some of their neighbors or other people in their communities can't do so it's kind of like oh like it's a bit of a status thing for them as well and the paper i was reading they talked about how remittances are creating a new class in certain in certain countries so it's like Mm. a a new remittance class because people have access to things because they have money that they necessarily wouldn't have had otherwise if um if they didn't have someone outside sending them money and and then there's Mm. also the economic value which it adds right yeah because um any money which is sent um if you look at the flow of money if you send a pound to ghana right now Someone uses that pound to buy a loaf of bread. The the person who sold the bread has a pound now. They can buy something else. So that mm. flow, effect. Mm. it increases it a lot more than it would have otherwise because that money is something external. It's not something that has anything to do with Ghana as such. Mm-hmm. It's not a result of Ghana's productivity. It's an external factor. Yeah, and I think, like Kirsty was saying, I think because it's such a significant part of GDP, I think some measures are saying that it's even more than the aid inflows yeah. that come yeah, into Ghana as well. Yeah, far more. Far more than also that. far more than um, what Ghanaian government takes and then tax revenues. Exactly. Yeah. So if we're thinking about this whole Ghana beyond aid mantra that we have now, mm. we need to start thinking about how we're going to measure that properly and then channel it into development initiatives, like you said, for ourselves as opposed to external actors. Mm-hmm. So I think in London it's easy for me to find that second generation basically people for me to have this discussion with in the u.s is that easy for you to do is there much people how easy is it how easy is it for you to find second generation Ghanaians to have these type of discussions it depends on the place that you're in i think if you're somewhere on the east coast uh it will or texas or chicago um it will be um pretty easy uh outside of that though even though i think America is, is a big country, you yeah. know, like, like I think people forget that it's a pretty big place. And so like here in the UK, most of the Ghanaians are concentrated here in London. Mm. In the US, you have several, several cities that have large concentrations of Ghanaians. You have, you know, New York City, you have DC, you have Atlanta, who have in Texas, where is it? I think Dallas. And then you have Chicago, like I said. Um, so if you're in one of those places, you'll be able to find second generation Ghanaians to have these conversations with and so um just based on the results right what's the next step or what yeah what is the next step so you have you've, the research has been done we've, we've seen the results we've seen the findings what's the next step so 
So I think actually going back to Jerome's earlier question, um, we didn't actually answer what the recommendations are in the first place. Oh, yeah. Right. So, um, <laughs> so um, the first thing is that we're, I guess, suggesting that there is a clear diaspora policy that's put in place because you don't know, no, nobody knows what that actually looks like. So when people want to engage, they don't know what the government's vision is for us mm. um, and how we're going to get to a certain place. We don't know what that's looking like. I mean, I know they've made steps moving forward in terms of there's now the diaspora relations office. Um, who come and speak at loads of events, you know, both in Ghana and abroad. Uh, they've now hired a global youth ambassador as well to engage with the under 35s and the youth and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So there are steps being made, but people still don't know what the framework is, like what we're working yeah. towards here. Um, another thing we were saying is that we need to start creating more structured pathways for people to engage. So, for example, we found that most people are going back home to visit family. So they have a very limited view of Ghana. Yeah. So they're going to... To, to enjoy themselves yes. which is good <laughs> you know everybody enjoy, should enjoy themselves but in terms of seeing Ghana beyond that people have like I said they don't have that purview basically so we're saying that even if it's a three month six month one year stint where you go and work in whatever sector in Ghana mm-hmm. to get some kind of quality work experience um, and then move that forward basically then we spoke about harnessing the interest in education health and entrepreneurship so if you know that this is what we want to work in how are we going to harness that together? Is it more networks? Is it more initial? Like, what, is, what does that look like practically? Mm. Um, then looking at monitoring inflows. So we need to be on top of the remittance inflows a bit more. Mm-hmm. So how much money is going in, what it's being mm-hmm. used for, even exploring the idea of collective remittances. It's like Kirsty was saying. So instead of sending money to my cousin, maybe I can donate a portion of that towards a wider project in a particular mm-hmm. region or a particular part of Ghana. Um, and then I think the last thing was just that more research needs to be done. So like Jerome was saying, more data, more information, more things to discuss. So the next steps to Francis' question <laughs> um, is basically putting it in front of the people who can actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. Make so the report's online, as Francis said. Um, we'll get to that at the end, I guess. But um, putting it in front of the Ghanaian government, um, international partners who are involved in migration and the diaspora and so on. And just making sure that we put this into... So this contributes to the policy, as I'm saying. So now that you know who we are and what our skill sets mm. are and what we want to do, how does that relate to what you need? and How do we bring the two together, basically? And how can the everyday person help you with that? I think reading a report would be a good start. Right? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, read the report, engage with the report. Because I think... Because the thing is, well, I think sometimes we get complacent because like, oh, but I spoke to Kirsty about that last week yeah. in the coffee shop, so I already know. So, yeah. But it's just like, get get the the big picture view of what's happening within this diaspora group specifically mm. and then see how it relates to others. Because, I mean, one of the other next step is we're doing another study in Germany. So we're going to be starting that towards the end of this year because the German Ghanaian diaspora is completely different to the English one. Um, and I think we have future Ghana has... Part of that for us. Oh, yes, Francis part. part so Francis can add someone that one. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so like future of Ghana, we have an, um, a chapter, if you like, in Germany, which is led by the Germany team who are f- fantastic. Um, but their their experience is completely different to ours. Like they're not as engaged with Ghana. They're more engaged within themselves, for mm. example. They have a very unique identity within Germany as opposed to going back and forth to Ghana the way British Ghanaians do, basically. Okay. So we want to explore that. Um, so we're looking to partner with, won't mention their names, but looking to partner with people um, mm-hmm. and organisations to do the next study. And then we'll do subsequent ones in like Holland, Francophone countries and the States eventually. But the States is massive, so we're going to wait till we get there <laughs> for that one. Yeah, so big big things are on the way. Yeah, I think one of the main things is for people maybe to just go back home. Yeah. 
and mm. do research. Yeah, and not not just for holiday as well. Yeah, that's mm. take time out to actually get to know yeah, your home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rather than just going for every year for Easter or for Christmas <laughs> or something, right? But I think in terms of how people, everyday person, can help, if you read the report, just so that, as Pearl said, you have like a high level overview of what's actually happening or even if you don't read a report just read some news about your country of origin or something mm -hmm. just be in the known right mm. yeah. do you look, have any last little points that you want to give out to people or to tell people any wisdom you want to pass <laughs> about wisdom I mean engage with future of Ghana we're here to facilitate um, <laughs> these kinds of like you said getting to know Ghana more and being put in contact with people who know more about Ghana that can move your initiatives or your ideas or things you want to know about Ghana into different directions. So I would say, like Fran said, read the report. Um, we're on social media, Future, Future of GH, that's on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, so tweet us, have a chat with us. And like I said, just if you want to be connected to other like-minded Ghanaians and to really harness your interest and get, get in contact. And what, what are your personal uh, Twitter angles? So mine is pboating88, boating, B-O-A-T-E-N-G. It's not boating. <laughs> Kirsty. Mine is my name. K I R S T I E K W A R T E N G. Yeah, and we'll be sure to add all those to the show, show notes so people can get in touch if they want to. Yes. This was such a great episode. It was such a great episode, and um, it's a shame we it haven't got more hour, time. And it's gone so quick. I know. There's actually loads more we could ask or that we could mention. Yeah. But we're yeah. probably going to do probably like a, a thread or a few tweets something sure yeah. yeah or maybe there'll be a part two in the future yeah <laughs> <laughs> who knows right yes <laughs> so guys please don't forget to, as i said earlier to subscribe give us feedback we're on itunes Castbox, soundcloud um also we're on twitter and instagram at making sense pc um yeah that's it and that's it so yeah thank you to the to the team the research team at Future of Ghana, which includes myself. So I'm thanking <laughs> myself for being here. Of course. <laughs> of course. Look at him. So, yeah, guys, thanks for coming. And, yeah, um, yeah we really enjoyed us. it. Um, Thank you, Kirsty. Thank you, Pearl. We appreciate it. Cool. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, in the, I think it's in the Philippines. They're looking into how to use cryptocurrency for remittances. Yeah, I think it started last i think september um i think there's about four or so companies that are really looking into that uh, i'm sure that number is expected to grow so i'm curious to see what that will look like for ghana that is interesting yeah. so the government is actually looking at it the, the philippines government. no 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 it wasn't it's, uh, it's companies oh right right yeah, okay yeah, okay cool so so they're basically looking to facilitate a way of sending cryptocurrencies back to the future uh to the a uh, country of origin yeah and, and like as a form of remittance yeah. yes okay that's oh, that's wow. dope yeah that well, yeah that's dope if you haven't listened to our previous episode episode nine please make sure you do so because this is going to be the follow-up yeah mm -hmm. so well uh, it's going to be an, an update on what we discussed on episode nine yeah and that's it cool bye Peace. <laughs>